Our themes this year is building a sure foundation. We're talking about Northside's foundation. We want to keep this congregation spiritually based and uh, true to the Bible and build a sure foundation for us in the years to come. Our second series of the year is about seeking servant leaders. Uh, we're starting the process of adding leaders at Northside. I said last week that nothing probably more contributes to a sure foundation uh, when it's done thoughtfully and biblically than adding new leaders. And there's probably nothing more destructive of a church's foundation if this act is done poorly. Uh, last week, we talked about an elder's job description. Uh, what's an elder do? And we worked through that a bit. We saw that uh, servant leaders in the church are very different from leaders in the world. A lot of differences. Uh, we saw that elders or shepherds or overseers or whatever term we choose to use that the New Testament uses, uh, they're to search, uh, I mean, to, uh, they're to watch, they're to oversee, they're to shepherd, they're to mature people, they're to admonish people, they're to be an example. So we looked at what an elder was to do. To, to, today, uh, I've called it an elder's resume. It might not be the best term. I'm talking about what's an elder like? What's their background? What, to, what do we see in an elder? What kind of man is he to be? Uh, I mentioned earlier that elder selection could be done poorly. Uh, there's lots of ways to do that. Uh, but one common way, especially in smaller congregations, I think, is to expect perfection, uh, to say that we, we don't have anybody qualified to be an elder. Well, that's possible that there are congregations that don't have anybody qualified to be an elder, uh, but Paul and Timothy and Titus seem to think that you could find elders. Uh, Paul told them to appoint elders in every church, uh, and those were young congregations. They were congregations made up of people that had really shaky backgrounds, uh, but they'd come along in the Christian faith enough to be elders. So it, it may not be as hard as we make it sometimes. We take our list of qualifications that we're going to talk about today and expect perfection. Uh, maybe a problem. We'll talk about selection next week, but today let's just talk about the qualifications. Now, we're going to spend some time thinking about how you think about qualifications before we get into them. Uh, one way to think of qualifications is to think, well, here's a checklist. Here's our checklist, and we go down the checklist, kind of like when you take your car to Jiffy Lube. They come out and they say, washer fluid, checked. Brake fluid, checked. Oil, checked. Transmission fluid, checked. Well, we can think about qualifications that way, and we can go through it. Uh, good reputation, check. Uh, got one wife, check. Not a drinker, check. We can go through all of those that way, and that's one way to think about qualifications. It's a bad way, but it's a way. A much better way is to understand the two important principles that I'm, I'm going to tell you next, and then think about qualifications. The first principle is, it's the duties that require the qualifications. It's not just a checklist. It's because of what elders do that we have this list of what we call qualifications. To do something, you must be something. 
is the principle. Now, I put two pictures up here of two different groups of people. Uh, One is a team of firefighters, and the other, if you can't tell, is a group of CPAs. Now, I know that we got both kinds in the audience here. We got some firefighters and we got some CPAs. Now, if I gave you the job uh, or the qualifications list, the list of requirements, if I gave you a list of requirements, could you tell which group I was talking about? Well, yeah, because the qualifications are driven by the duties. Okay? Uh, I went on a few cities' websites and looked at requirements for firefighters, and I found that some places you've got to carry a 185-pound mannequin a certain distance. You've got to drag somebody that weighs 185 pounds away. You've got to put a 75-pound pack on your back and climb up five flights of stairs. Uh, you've got to take a nine-pound sledgehammer and move a 160-pound steel beam five feet. You got to, if you're going to work in the wild land where they have wildfires and stuff, uh, you got to put a 45-pound vest on and jog three miles in 45 minutes. Okay? Now, those are interesting qualifications. And if I just gave you that list and you looked at these two pictures, you'd say, that's ah, probably for the firefighters. Okay, why? Because you know the duties of firefighters. Firefighters are going to have to drag people out of buildings. Firefighters are going to have to put on oxygen packs and go up flights of stairs. They're going to have to knock down doors. They're going to have to have the lungs and the stamina uh, to fight fire at high altitudes. So the qualifications are driven by the duties. Okay? Now, I didn't look for the list of qualifications for a CPA. I, I guess you got to pass the CPA exam. And I don't know if you have to have a pocket protector or not, but you've got to pass the exam at least. Now, so, so that's the first principle. <laughs> the duties drive the qualifications. Uh, the second principle is that there's a big difference between objective qualifications and subjective. Okay. Carrying 75 pounds up five floors is a yes-no deal. You can either do it or you can't. That's the qualification. It's objective. You take the test, you either pass it or you fail it. But the things in our list today, a good reputation, obedient children, disciplined, all of those are subjective. Those are different than objective qualifications. And that's why these two principles are important. If we get confused about, well, we've just got a checklist instead of thinking about the duties, or if we think about this being an objective list, then we're getting, we'll get in trouble. Uh, take one of the qualifications we'll talk about in just a moment. Able to teach. Okay. If we think about that as an objective qualification or just a checklist, we might think, well... Old Brother Slow, he never taught the auditorium class, so no check. And Brother Steady, he teaches classes all the time. Everybody sleeps through them, and there's a lot of snoring, and he doesn't teach anything, but he gets a check. Okay, So that's not the way it works. We've thought about that qualification the wrong way. Verse 2 in 1 Timothy says, able to teach. 
But Titus expands that a little bit and gives us some more information. In verse 9, Titus says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that, here come the duties, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now we're starting to figure out what able to teach means. He's supposed to be able to talk to people and encourage them with the truth and refute it if they're uh, off track, if they're teaching falsehood. That sounds a whole lot more like watching and building up people, doesn't it? Than just getting a check mark for being able to teach a class. So those are the two things I wanted you to see is... The difference between objective and subjective and the fact that duties require the qualifications. Now, another reason to understand all that and what qualifications are about is that the list can be kind of overwhelming. If we put everything in the list in 1 Timothy and everything in the list in Titus together and make a list of it, especially if you start adding in other translations, take the King James and the NIV and put all those words together Woo, that's an overwhelming list. And if we do that and we think of it as a checklist and all that, that's where we find out nobody would qualify. Peter wouldn't qualify. You know, if you you take it that way, uh, we know Peter was an elder, so he qualified, but some folks wouldn't check him off, I don't think. They'd get to that one that says, not quick-tempered. And somebody would say, whoa, Peter whacked the guy's ear off. You know, no check for him. So uh, we need to understand that and go through the list a little differently, perhaps, uh, than some congregations do, or perhaps we have in the past. So I've made a composite list, and then I grouped them. Now, some of them didn't fit real well, and you look over on the right-hand side there of your handout. Uh, some are listed separately, like willing. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, Paul says that a elder, somebody that wants to be an elder must set his heart on that, and he desires a noble task. So he's got to want the job. He's got to be willing. It's a good place to start. But the rest of them fit pretty well in categories. There's five items in the, both passages that fit together neatly and add up to what I might summarize as having a good reputation. So let's look through those real quickly. So one is above reproach. Now that doesn't mean perfection. That doesn't mean there is absolutely nothing this guy's ever done wrong, or obviously we'd never have an elder. Everybody messes up sometimes. But what that term means is, for instance, we ever hear somebody say about somebody, but nobody has anything bad to say about him. You know, the, the, just nobody has anything to say bad. Well, that's above reproach. Respectable is the second word, and that means in the Greek, a pretty good synonym is dignified. That's a man that in his manners, in his speech, in his way he treats other people, the way he treats the opposite sex, uh, is a, an old-fashioned term, is a Christian gentleman. Respectable. Not a lover of money. Now, that doesn't mean you just got to have poor guys for elders. Uh, you, you can have somebody that's got a little money. But we've talked enough about money this year. You know the difference between somebody that loves money 
that makes it the Lord of their life, that that's the number one pursuit and all that, that kind of fellow can't be an elder who's Lord in their life. Uh, one list also adds pursues dishonest gain, which is, I, I use this lover of money for that. There, there should be no question about how an elder handles his money. Financially, he shouldn't be a lover of money and he shouldn't be in any way dishonest or questionable. Good reputation with outsiders is what Paul adds to that. A good reputation with outsiders, people that we work with, that go to school with, or wherever we are, ought to admire a man that's qualified to be an elder. Uh, One way to think about it is if this man goes to his friends at work or wherever and tells them that he's been selected for a church office, would anybody be surprised? If they're surprised, we made a mistake. Uh, This is somebody that has a reputation that this is a good guy. I don't know exactly what's different about him, but he's he's a good man. And the outside world ought to see that. And then holy, we've studied holiness enough to know that doesn't mean sinless. It means set apart. It means committed to God. So if we take that list, and you can think up your own heading if you want, but to me, all of those kind of fit into the description of this guy's got a good reputation. All right, now four other items on the list obviously refer to family. And so I describe them as somebody that has a successful family. First one is a husband of one wife. Now, I know people argue about this. What's this mean? Does this mean only married once, his wife never died, he didn't remarry after his wife died? Uh, all, all kinds of questions about that. What happens if an elder's wife dies? Does he have to step down because he's not a husband of one wife anymore? We're not going to discuss that today unless you've got questions, and we will have a question and answer session, I think, pretty soon. Uh, but Looking at the Greek kind of helps here. The literal word is a one-woman man. It's a man that is devoted to one woman, to his wife. Okay? Respect, uh, yeah, I almost jumped back to the next one. Uh, a one-woman man, and I think we all understand that concept, but closely related to that, uh, if you go down in verse 11 of 1 Timothy 3, it mentions the wives. And I didn't put it on the list because we're talking specifically about uh, the elders' qualifications, and we'll talk about this more later next week, I think. Uh, but 1 Timothy 3.11 says wives are supposed to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, temperate and trustworthy in everything. Those are pretty high qualifications for an elder's wife and a deacon's wife also, Uh, and I believe this is very important and should be considered. I think there's a lot of men, not a lot, but some men who are very well qualified, fit the description and in all these terms, but have a wife that hasn't learned to control her tongue, has a wife that talks too much, has a wife that's not temperate in all things. And I believe that's a serious, serious disqualification for a man that aspires to be an elder. Second thing on the list, manage his own family. <laughs> it's supposed to be manage his own family. Well, not mange them. Uh, <laughs> my proof checker. Where was my proof checker on that? 
<laughs> Don't give your family the mange, please. Just manage them. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the Greek for that means to stand before and lead. Okay? Stand before and lead your family. And why is this important? Well, because elders don't run a business. Elders run a family. This is a family. And so the best qualification for that is somebody that leads their own family well. In fact, Paul even says that. If you can't run your own family, how are you going to run a big church family? So manage your own family well. Now, what's manage mean? It doesn't mean have a perfect family. Once again, we wouldn't have any elders if you had to have a perfect family. There are problems in all families. But what's a manager do? He handles the crisis. He deals with it. He does the best he can under the circumstances. Uh, managers set priorities and they plan the future and they deal with crises. I've been a manager and it's real easy to manage when everything's good. You know, when you find out if you're a good manager or not, it's when some things go wrong. So uh, that's one of the tests here is he's managed his own family well. And then there's two about children. One word says obedient children. Another one says believing children. Once again, remember, this is subjective. There's no perfect children. And when children get to a certain age, they get to choose whether to rebel or to follow what they've been taught. Okay? That's their choice. They've got free will. Uh, perhaps it's helpful to see that the opposite of this, what Paul says in there, is he describes not open to charges of being wild. That describes a, a pagan lifestyle, a debauched lifestyle. Yeah. So those replay, all refer to a family. You should have had a successful family life. Seven items in our lists describe a man who is disciplined. From every direction, we get things about discipline here. Temperate means someone who is balanced who is steady, who doesn't overdo anything. He's temperate in all things. Self-controlled, uh, somebody that's not given to extremes. Uh, one translation calls that sensible or sober-minded. Uh, an elder shouldn't be a flake or a goof or a lightweight. They ought to be serious and sober-minded. Disciplined, strength under control is what that means. Not given to wine. Uh, bear in mind the culture is very different from when Paul wrote this. Uh, the literal translation means not linger over wine. Uh, and back then wine was very, very low alcoholic content and everybody drank it because otherwise you got sick. Uh, but some people lingered over it. They, they spent too much time at wine. And Paul says not that kind of a man. In our culture, I think there's uh, some stricter requirements perhaps there. Not violent. King James Version says not a striker, uh, not abusive, not quick to pick a fight. Uh, he adds, Paul does, not a violent but gentle. Not quarrelsome. King James says not a brawler, somebody that wants to argue about everything. A quarrelsome man. And you, some of you know somebody like that. Doesn't matter what you bring up, they'll argue about it to the death. They just want to quarrel all the time. Uh, the elder shouldn't be that way. Not overbearing. It literally means not self-pleasing. 
Uh, and I, I interpret that to mean somebody that doesn't listen to others. They're just overbearing. They got their own mind made up. They want their way. They're not going to pay attention to anybody else. They're overbearing. Okay, you put all those together, and that's a disciplined person. Three final items in our list are about a man's relationship to the Word of God. And the term I used to describe it was someone who knows and respects the Word. Someone who loves what is good. He loves good people. He loves good causes. He loves good ideas. He, he loves the truth. And, and, and on this one, there's kind of, there's a difference between evil and good. But I think there's a middle ground there. There are trivial things, trifles of life. An elder loves what is good. Not just the, the materialistic, trivial stuff of life. He loves what is good. Able to teach. We've already talked about that a little bit. Remember the purpose, the duties drive this one. Uh, I think it could be in a class. It could be in small groups. It could be one-on-one. Uh, but somebody who is able to encourage somebody with the truth and to refute them if they're wrong has to know the word. And finally, holds firmly to the message, the essentials of the faith. Now, this man has to be firm. He has to know it, and then he has to be firm in it. He knows and respects the word. All right. Now, the two last ones on your list there uh, don't really fit a category. They're kind of self-explanatory. One is hospitable. I think you've got to know people to shepherd them. Uh, so you've got to be able to talk to people and deal with people. Uh, the literal Greek meaning there is a lover of strangers, uh, somebody that can meet people and get to know them. I think today it's more about an attitude than it is about keeping people in your house because they didn't have motels back then. Uh, but you know the kind of person we're talking about. And then not a recent convert, uh, literally that's a, not a new plant, not a, not a seedling. Not a, a brand new Christian. Somebody that's matured and been tested and had some experiences certainly is who we want for an elder. All right. Now, let's look at the whole resume. Let's put it together. An elder must be willing, must have a good reputation, must have a successful family, must be disciplined, must know and respect the word, must be hospitable, and must not be a recent convert. All right. Now, the important thing about this is why? That's where we started. The qualifications are driven by the duties. So why is this list? And why did I summarize it like this so we can kind of look at the big picture and instead of getting down into the checklist thing? This describes a certain kind of man. Why do we want an elder with a good reputation? Well, because he's supposed to be an example, we saw last week. He's supposed to admonish people. Somebody with a bad reputation that hasn't lived his life right, how can he admonish anybody? So the duties are drive the qualification. Why do we want somebody with a successful family? Why is that necessary? Well, for one reason, an elder is going to have to give advice to families. Now, believe it or not, Christian families get messed up. And they need some coaching sometimes. They need some counseling. And an elder has to do that sometimes. If he's been successful at it to some subjective degree that we get to judge, then he can give advice to families. And secondly, I already mentioned it, but managing a church 
is a whole lot more like managing a family than it is managing a business or a state or something like that. This is a family. So somebody has to have done that well. Disciplined. Why do we want a disciplined man as an elder? And you go through the list and there's emotional discipline and physical discipline, financial discipline. It's all in there. Well, once again, he's supposed to be an example. And he's supposed to shepherd. Needs to be disciplined to do that. And finally, know and respect the word. Why? Obvious. What's an elder to do? He's supposed to watch and guard and mature people. You've got to know and respect the word to do that, to, to protect them and guard them and feed them and all the things that we talked about last week. So if we see the whole resume like that, we see a description of a man. Now, let's get even a little bigger picture here. Uh, if we wanted just a couple of words to describe what I'm talking about, I added all of that up and I said, well, I'm, we're talking about an exemplary Christian. Uh, I, another word might be mature. I mean, that's the goal. All mature Christians ought to fit this description pretty well. But I chose the word exemplary. Uh, that's who we want as an elder. Now, once again, Understand, don't take this list as a, a checklist of perfection. In fact, you might call it an aspirational list. This is what all of us aspire to or ought to as Christians. We, we ought to take this list and say, I, I want to be like that someday. And I want to grow into that. But we ought to take this aspirational list and apply it to our candidates graciously and realistically. Next week, we're going to talk about an elder's selection. Uh, what's the process? How do you select an elder? How do you examine them and decide if they're fit to be an elder? Uh, and let me add one thing. Uh, I've been thinking about how to do this, but uh, you may have some particular questions, and if you do, and if we have enough, I'll, I'll do a whole sermon on the questions and answers about elder selection and elder qualification and all that. Uh, so either hand me a note if you've got a specific question or email me or text me and I'll see if we've got enough to put together a, a whole lesson on that. But any questions? Yeah, and I know I went over these very quickly this morning. I didn't want to discuss each one in uh, theological detail. I wanted to see a big picture of what an elder should be like. So I hope you got that picture. And if you have specific questions, uh, get them to me and we'll deal with them later. The lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we make that possible by standing and singing an invitation. If you have some public need of this family, want prayers or want to praise us of something, we'd be happy to hear what's going on in your life. If you have any public need, let's stand and sing and you come.